Good morning, and thank you for joining us this Lord's Day. If you would, turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 16. Uh, Exodus 16, verses 22 through 36 will be our text this Lord's Day. And we just sang a song about, Blessed be the name of the Lord who gives and takes away. Many of us have a much easier time blessing the name of the Lord when He gives than when He takes. But in order for us to be a people who respond in praise, who see the glory of God both in when He gives and takes away, we need to be people of His Word. That's why we read in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk according to the world's wisdom and counsel. He doesn't stand in the path of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so my prayer for us today as we open up God's Word is that we would not just sit through this time, but that we might delight in God's Word and learn and grow from it. And so out of reverence for it, if you're able to stand, if you would, as I read for us, uh, Exodus 16, verses 22-36. through We are picking up at this point in Exodus where we left off last week in our study. God's people had grumbled and complained. They felt He had not provided what they wanted, and so He rained down and blessed them with bread from heaven. He gave them instruction about that bread through Moses. They were to gather each day what was needed for the day. Every day He would give them new bread. And so we pick up today in verse 22 on that sixth day, the day where God said they would find twice as much. They'd find a double portion on that day. And we will find out why He gave them that double portion as we study the Word this morning. We'll begin now in verse 22 where we read this. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. and There were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, He gives you bread for two days. Remain each one of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate manna 40 years. Till they came to a habitable land. They ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is a tenth of an ephah. If you would pray with me.
Father, You do tell us in Your Word that the blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, and yet we are surrounded by it. That the blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners, and yet we find that we stumble through that often. That the blessed man does not sit in the seat of scoffers, and yet, Lord, we are surrounded in our world and our culture by wicked counsel, by sinful paths, by scoffers who mock You and Your Word. And so, Father, for us to move through that and to grow and to be blessed, we need to be like the man who meditates on Your Word day and night. So, Father, I pray that You would do what only You can do. That through the power of Your Spirit in these moments we have together, that You might enable us to meditate on Your Word. That You might help us to focus on it. And that You might change our lives as a result of it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Perhaps some of you are familiar with the story of the mother who was cooking one day and her daughter was learning from her as she cooked. The mother was making a pot roast and so she got the spices ready. She put vegetables in the pot. She went to put the pot roast in the pot and before she did, she cut the ends off of it. The daughter who was being observant said, well, Mom, why do you cut the ends off of the pot roast? And she said, well, that's how my mother taught me to do it. And that got her thinking, so the next day, this mother called her mother and said, Mom, I was making pot roast, and, and I got to thinking, well, why do you cut the ends off of it? She said, well, that's how my mother taught me to do it. That got her thinking, so the next day she was visiting the nursing home, and as she was sitting there with her mother, she said, Mom, tell me again how you made pot roast all those years ago, and she began to walk her through the process, and the spices, and the vegetables, and she said, then I would cut the ends off. She said, all right, stop right there, Mom. Why did you cut the ends off? I said, well, honey, we only had one pot, and it was kind of small, so we always had to cut the ends off to fit it in the pot. When you think about why we do the things we do, why we have the traditions that we have, so many times they have more to do with the size of a great-grandmother's cooking pot than they have with the truth of God's Word. We have traditions, and some of those traditions are good things that we find in the Scripture that are built on the Scripture, that are founded on the Scripture, and handed down to those who've entrusted them to us. But other times, there are traditions we have just because that's the way we've always done it. And especially for those traditions that are deeply rooted in us, when they are challenged or changed, it's unsettling for us. Many of you have lived long enough to be unsettled by changes, by traditions that have morphed or changed or have been left behind. One of those traditions for you may be related to this day, to your Sunday tradition. But what we do on Sundays in our culture has changed radically over the last few decades. I remember even in my own childhood as a a change was made in a blue law that then allowed lots of stores to be open on Sunday that weren't open before. Some of you grew up in a culture where there was nothing open on Sunday. The culture observed this day as sacred. And that tradition has changed in the culture. That tradition has even changed among many churches. We find that Sunday for most of us is just as busy as the rest of the week. There's just as many things to do. In fact, it seems that oftentimes on Sunday, on top of everything else, we're trying to catch up on what we didn't get done and get ahead perhaps on what we need to do. 
it has become a rushed and hurried day. And many of us lament that. But the question today for us is, why do we lament that? Do we lament that because we have a Sabbath tradition? Or do we lament that because we have a Sabbath conviction? I hope that as we go through the Word today, and in future weeks, that we might develop a conviction in regards to how we are to spend the Lord's day. I'm not interested in looking at things from a traditional perspective. Well, we used to do this, and now we should do this, or we need to recover this. But more so, what does the Scripture inform us to do? Because the Scripture speaks a great deal about the Hebrew Sabbath in the book of Exodus. In fact, we see the text today that the Sabbath teaching, we will see it again as Moses goes with the people to Mount Sinai and he goes up the mountain and God gives him the law. He begins with the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And there in that fourth commandment, he tells him and tells the people that they are to remember the Sabbath. At the very end of the law, in Exodus 31, as he's given him this instruction, he again gives him further teaching on the Sabbath. Then as God, or excuse me, as Moses goes and assembles God's people to teach them, to speak to them, in Exodus 35, again we will see a Sabbath teaching. So we will come to this more than one time. And I mention that for a couple of reasons. One to say it, it is important. It's important that we consider what we learn in the book of Exodus about the Hebrew Sabbath and how that relates to the Lord's Day that we have today. And two, to say, I'm not going to cover everything today. Now, you may be left with questions, especially about the implications of these things. What then are we to do and not to do? I won't get to everything today, but I hope today for us to establish at least a biblical foundation for how we are to view our Lord's Day in light of what God taught His people in regards to this Sabbath rest that He offered them. We'll begin there in your outline with the first point. We see in the Sabbath that God is providing rest for His people. That foundationally to our understanding of what that this notion, this idea, this teaching of the Sabbath is, we need to understand that this was God's provision for rest for His people. And He does it here in the context of providing for them a double portion of food. You remember back in verse 4 of this chapter, God told the people that when they went out on the sixth day, they would find that they had twice as much food that day. Hey, he didn't tell them why. He actually told them for those other days that they would just have what they needed for that day. They should leave none over to the next day. And when some actually tried to leave it to the next day, it spoiled and it rotted. And so why would God give them then so much on the sixth day? Well, well now He's going to tell them. He's going to teach them through Moses. And so... Sure enough, verse 22, they go out and they gather and, and they have twice as much bread as normal. And so this creates some conversation and they take this to their leaders. Their leaders go to Moses and say, hey, look, we, we've got twice as much as normal. We, we, we tried to keep some over already. That didn't work out so well. What are we to do now? And then Moses gives this instruction. He tells them to prepare it all. Bake what you will bake. Boil what you, boil what you will boil. And then keep over some for the next day. And again, this would be a concern for them. <laughs> Perhaps some of them have even said, well, wait a second, Moses. We, we tried that before, and, and it, it, it rotted. It stank. The Scripture says it grew worms in it. So why would we do that again? Well, 
things are different now because this is in the context of the Sabbath provision. Verse 23. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. And so God had given this double portion in preparation for this day of rest. This is the first time we see the term Sabbath in the Scripture. But it's not the first time we see the notion of Sabbath in the Scripture. In fact, the root word for the word in Hebrew for Sabbath, which means time of rest, is actually found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. It's in that passage you may recall where we learn that God created heavens and the earth, all that's in them, man, beast, everything, in six days. And on the seventh day, He rested. That that word means he, he ceased. And then that's the root word we have then for Sabbath. And it's important that we see this connection because it helps us understand that this Sabbath teaching and command doesn't just show up in the Ten Commandments. That, that it's been there before. In fact, if you recall the commandments, 1, 2, and 3 are you shall, you shall not, you shall not. But with 4, with the Sabbath teaching, it's remember. Remember the Sabbath day. God is calling His people to call to mind something they already had teaching on. And we see that teaching in Exodus 16. But we see it very clearly in Genesis chapter 2. Again, hear what God's Word says there. Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. On the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Now, now this is foundational to our understanding of what it means to rest and why we rest because the very first thing we see is God rested. And why did God rest? Did God rest because He was tired? God wear Himself out? No, the Scripture said that God rested because God was finished. God was done. God had everything done in six days, so He rested on the seventh day. And there's a creation mandate there for a Sabbath rest, and it's founded in this understanding that God had provided, He has, was done with His work, and now He could rest. And then in exchange, what does He do? He calls us to rest. And so I hope you see this connection that, that, that foundationally we are called to rest because we are distinct from everything else in creation. The Scripture says we are image bearers. So according to the Scripture, animals are not image bearers. Now I realize I could probably find some in our community who would say, well, no, there's, you know, little fee-fee-foo-foo, that's God right there, I mean... You can find cultures that worship animals. But the Scripture said, no, animals are not image bearers. So guess what? Animals don't get a Sabbath. They don't have a Sabbath rest. Fish bite on Sunday. Cows need to be fed on Sunday. Animals eat on Sunday. You don't walk outside and see a deer in the field just saying, yeah, I'm Sunday, I don't have to eat. You know, I'm just chilling. Animals are different. They're creations of God, but they're not in the image of God. 
creation itself, the trees. There are people in our culture who think that, that God is in the trees. No, God's not in the trees. God created the trees. They're a creation of God. They don't bear His image. We bear His image. And as image bearers, we, we serve a holy God who was finished, who was done, and then rested, and calls us as image bearers to rest as well. And so the first thing we see here in the Sabbath teaching is that we rest because God rested. God has called His people to be a people of rest. And notice what He does here. We, we tend to get so hung up when it comes to the Sabbath and Lord's Day on what we should not do. And perhaps you think today I'm going to give you a list of things you should not do today. I'm not going to do that. Because I want you to see something here. This is not foundationally about what we should not do. It's foundationally about what we can do because of what God has already done. Do you see that? God is telling His people, you don't have to go out and get that bread. I've already provided it for you. You can rest because of what I've already done. God rests on the Sabbath because God has already provided for His people and then calls them in return to enter into His rest. Now, I'm guessing at this point, in all this mention of rest, that not many of you in this room are saying, well, I just don't like the idea of rest. You know, I'm anti-rest. I don't like resting, you know. We all like the idea of rest. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Show of hands. How many of you in this room like the idea of resting? Anybody? How many of you are asleep right now? We like the idea of resting, don't we? God's people like the idea of resting, but here's the problem. They were drawn to find their rest in things other than God, and we are too. It's not that they had an objection to resting any more than we have today. The problem was they wrestled with, they struggled with finding their rest in other things. And we do too. Point two there. People struggle to receive God's provision of rest. Uh, There are times when there are mysteries in the Word. There are times when it's just so clear to us the rebellion in the heart of man. Look at that. Verse, Verse 26 there. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Therefore, verse 27, on the seventh day, some of them went out to gather, but they found none. You know, There's not going to be any bread out there. I want you to rest. Okay, what should we do today? Maybe we should go look for bread. Yeah. They're rebellious. But again, I don't think the issue here is that they don't want rest. I don't think that God's people were sitting around on the seventh day going, oh, we just need something to do, you know. We should go and look for bread. We should do that. I mean, I'm just getting, this rest thing's wearing me out. I really want something to do here. The, the problem is they weren't willing to rest the way God called them to. They weren't willing to rest in God. In fact, we see throughout the Scripture in Exodus, God's people desperately wanted rest. I mean, think of how we see this whole book introduced to us. Exodus chapter 2, the burden of slavery was great on God's people. They were overwhelmed by it. So they cry out to God and they cry out for rest, for relief. Take this burden off of us, Lord. 
So God sends them a deliverer, a redeemer. Moses comes and he goes to Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh multiple times, let God's people go that they might go and worship Him. And Pharaoh, this rebellious man who worshipped false gods, demanded that people worship Him, him as God. He's not willing to submit to the authority of God. So perhaps you recall what he does there. He increases the burden on God's people. He tells them to make more bricks without being provided straw. and so, so the people not only had this burden of slavery, now there's this greater burden on them. You remember what they did with that? You remember where they went to find rest? They went to Pharaoh. That <laughs> They go to Pharaoh and they cry out to Pharaoh. They don't cry out to God. In fact, when Pharaoh says, uh, too bad, <laughs> then they go and complain to Moses and to Aaron. So, so when this burden is on them, they wanted rest, but they cry out to Pharaoh, not God. Then what we'll see as we continue this book, Exodus 32, as Moses is at Mount Sinai receiving this word from the Lord, the people get anxious, a little stir crazy. They don't have their leader. They need somebody to worship. That, that mediator between them and God is not there. Do you remember what they do? You probably know this story already. Hey, anybody got some gold? Let's melt it all down. This is a great idea. Let's melt all the gold down and we'll form a cow and we can worship that. <laughs> they weren't opposed to rest. They just were putting their focus of their rest in other things in Pharaoh and a golden calf and not in God. And so we see here this pattern of people looking to find their own rest. Again, they, they had already tried to keep bread over to the next day. And the Scripture doesn't really explicitly tell us why they did that, but I think we can infer some things there. It may be that God's people were trying to work out their own little rest system here. You know, Maybe along the way they're out there gathering bread, maybe somebody comes up with the idea that the entrepreneurial one says, you know what, it's kind of silly for us to do this every day. You know? I know God said He'd provide every day, but... But maybe we could just get enough and, and not eat as much today and save some till tomorrow, and then tomorrow we can just relax. Maybe they were lazy. They didn't want to go out and gather every day. Or maybe, just maybe, they're like a lot of us today. They didn't want to be told what to do. <laughs> they didn't like being told what to do. See, the Scripture tells us why they did what they did, just like it tells us why we do what we do. Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. It, most of us in this room would probably agree when we get to just openly rebellious, very clear, sinful things to call sin, sin. Oh yeah, somebody's just rebelling against God, shaking their fist at God, that's wrong. But you realize the Scripture says that that there's also a sin issue here when we just do what we think is right. When, when we're, according to Proverbs 3, wise in our own eyes. You know what the Scripture says to us about being wise in our own eyes? It says, turn away from evil. <laughs> and so you think about what that says about our heart. We have all these notions and ideas and thoughts about where we can find rest, or where we can relieve our stress, where we can lift a burden, and so often we turn to everything other than God. 
There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. And so I realize there's probably all kinds of vices we could list, things that probably most of us in this room would agree on. Yeah, that's a terrible place to find your rest. But just think in general in our culture. Where, where do we find rest? Where do we find a break? Where, well, what do we do to, to try to relieve this burden and this stress and just kind of kick back and relax a little bit? Vacation? Imagine. This morning it was 20-something degrees. Maybe some of us are thinking of warmer days. Maybe you've already got plans. Maybe you thought about those plans a lot this morning when it was cold. Maybe on those really burdensome days, those hard days, those stressed out days, you think, oh, I just can't, I can't wait to get away and get a break. And yet, think of how often we return from those vacations only to say what? Now I need a vacation from my vacation. <laughs> Come back worn out, stressed out, and broke. Sunburned. This last few days, pastors Matt and Nick and I, along with David, we were at a pastor's conference. We, we didn't plan where the conference was, so we submitted ourselves to the authority of the conference people and went to Orlando, Florida, it was warmer. Yesterday I checked in with Sandy. It was 38 here and it was 83 there. But before you long so much for that, <laughs> we got done about 3 o'clock yesterday. Uh, our flight didn't leave till much later, so we had a little downtime. So we went over near Disney and we were eating at this little lunch stop. And I was looking around at 4 in the afternoon. And in my head, I'm just thinking of just all the resources and, and the vacation time and how much it costs to get all these people there. And as I'm walking through this restaurant, I saw not just one, but multiple tables where there were small children laid out on the tables asleep. They just passed out. And mom and dad were not singing, It's a Small World After All. They weren't smiling, they were sunburnt, they were grumpy. Everybody looked mad at each other. Happiest place on the planet, mind you. It reminded me of something I heard a comedian say not long ago. He was talking about going to Disney World with his kids. And he said, you know, when I was a kid and would go on vacation, I always wondered why Dad was in such a bad mood. And now I know. <laughs> we, we plan these times of rest only to exhaust ourselves. We don't truly find rest there. Think about all the other places we look to rest. How often do we go home and we're, we're, we're just overwhelmed and stressed out and we find ourselves saying things like, well, I just need to zone out for a little while. You know? Turn on the television. In our culture today, does this give you rest? Same conference where we were suffering for the Lord last week in Orlando. We, we were forced one night to eat at a Japanese steakhouse. Mind you, we ate. It was Matt's birthday. Happy birthday, Matt. Again. Uh, we're there and we thought this would be a fun experience. You know, if you've ever been to a Japanese steakhouse, they're, it's Japanese and it's a steakhouse, so you got that part. But they, they're cooking all this food in front of you and the tables, there's so many seats around this table so that there was us and a couple guys went with us and then there was room at the end for two more. So they put what I perceived to be this mother and daughter at the end of the table. 
And this is, I mean, this is pretty entertaining stuff. I mean, they're catching stuff on fire. Onion turns into a volcano. Shrimp are flying. I mean, this is, this, this isn't your everyday, you know, Ryan's Buffet experience. I look at the end of the table, and for 30 minutes, this is all I saw. I mean, mom and daughter's hair could have been on fire and flaming shrimp flying past them, and this is all they were doing. Does that give you rest? Maybe the reason that so many of us are exhausted and, and let's be honest, sometimes just a little irritable <laughs> is because we're so worn out and the things that we're seeking to give us rest don't give us rest at all. In fact, so often the things that we seek to give us rest just put a greater burden on us. And isn't that the picture we see here in the Scripture? We've got the people of God who so often exchange the benevolence of God for the burden of sin. There they are on the journey to the promised land. And what are they doing? Man, it sure was great when we were gathered around those meat pots. Good old Pharaoh, you know, he was so good to us. They forget so quickly the burden of sin. What do we do? How do we relate to that? How often in our stress and our worry and our overwhelmed lives, do we look back on our days of sin and lostness? And we're kind of fond of them. Or maybe you don't do that, but maybe today you just are tired. <laughs> maybe you're just a bit exhausted. Maybe you need rest, but you're not finding rest. And if that's the case, you've come to a good place because what we find in the Scripture is this call of where we can ultimately find our rest. Point three in your notes there. See, Jesus calls us to find our rest in Him. Get a little further explanation here in the text of this, this bread. Now the people of Israel begin to call it manna. They describe it. Moses tells it it was like coriander seed. It was white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. I, I've never been around somebody who bit into something and said, that tastes like honey. We, we, we think honey tastes good. It's, it's sweet. It's, it's something we like. But it's more than that here because God's not just saying that it was sweet. He's saying something more. Remember, we've, we've read about honey before in Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. God comes to Moses, calls him to go be this deliverer, to be his mediator, his representative in Egypt, to, to take the people to the promised land. Do you remember how he describes the promised land? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. So how gracious of God on this journey that is extended because of the disobedience of His children, that all along the way, every single day, He would just put a taste in their mouth of what was coming. See, God does that for us on the Lord's Day too, friends. I've yet to talk to someone who said to me, Pastor, 
I was so burdened and overwhelmed. I lost my loved one. I was burdened with cancer. All these things were going on. I was overwhelmed. I needed rest. And I went to Disney. And now I'm good. I was just overwhelmed, but then I, I binge-watched a show, and now I'm great, you know? But, but there are those moments in our duress where we gather together with God's people and we sing songs that remind us of a day that's coming. And we open up the Word and we learn about God's grace and His mercy and His forgiveness, and we get that taste. And God's telling us he, he hadn't forgotten us and He hadn't abandoned us and there's a, there's a day coming. You're, you're getting just a taste of the honey now, friends. But there's a day coming when new heaven and new earth, it's, it's flowing with it. God has graciously provided us this day, this Lord's Day for so many reasons. But friend, one of them is to remind us of what is to come. And that's what He does here for His people as well. In fact, He tells them to keep this memorial. He says, take a piece of the manna and put it in a jar. And ultimately, what's going to end up happening is they're going to put this jar in the Ark of the Covenant. It's going to be this reminder to God's people of what He did in creation and of what He was going to do one day in a new creation. And He's given us the Lord's Day for the same reason. See, this Hebrew Sabbath was to point His people towards what was to come. And we have the full counsel of God's Word, so we have the whole story here. We, we know what it says. Colossians 2, Paul, in speaking about this Sabbath that God gave to His people, he says this about the Sabbath and many other Hebrew observances, that they were intended to point to something. These things, he writes in Colossians 2, 17, these things are a shadow of, of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, the, the Hebrew Sabbath was intended then to point the people to Jesus Christ. You may ask how. Well, we, we read that passage as we got started this morning, didn't we? Jesus Himself answered that question. Matthew, Matthew records it in Matthew 11 where He writes this in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Do you ever feel that? you ever feel a burden? Feel heavy laden? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you a list of things to do. <laughs> no. Come to me and I'll give you a religion? No. Now think about this. Jesus... Jesus doesn't say, come to me for counsel and I'll give you a book to read. Come to me and I'll give you a list of stuff to stop doing and start doing. I'll give you ten ways to have a better marriage. I'll give you five ways to give up that vice. I'll give you your best life now. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I am not anti-vacation. I hope you get to take a vacation. I hope you have a great time. Get sunburned. Eat the corn dog. Have a great time. 
But don't for a second think you're going to find rest for your soul. Scripture tells us we find that one place. And Jesus says you come to Him and you'll find that rest for your souls. Because He says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus comes on the scene, He makes the statement, and He just radically changes everything about the Hebrew Sabbath. For one thing, He changed the day that it, it would be observed. Hebrew Sabbath began Friday as the sun went down. It ended Saturday as the sun went down. So Saturday was the last day of the week. Probably in your calendar, Sunday's first day there. Saturday was the seventh day. So they... They had this day of rest at the end of their week. But then, our Lord Jesus is resurrected. He rises from the dead on the first day of the week. And so the New Testament, the early church, that's when they began to gather for worship. In fact, they stopped referring to it as the Sabbath, started referring to it as the Lord's Day. And we see this in the book of Revelation. I was was there on the Lord's Day. And so everything about this day now focuses on Jesus Christ. And so rather than ending our week with rest, we start our week with rest. Do you realize that this is the first day of the week? This is it. This is how you're starting your week. You are starting your week gathering to worship God, to learn about Christ, and to respond to His Word. And so everything about our Lord's Day should be affected by our understanding of these things. It's a day then we should spend Focusing on the Lord, learning about the Lord, singing about the Lord, praying to the Lord, gathering with the Lord's people, finding our rest in Christ. I said I wasn't going to answer every question this morning, and I'm not, but I want to leave you with a question. And the question is this, rather than thinking about what you need to stop doing on the Lord's day, I want to ask you this. What do you need to start doing on the Lord's Day? How can this day be more intentionally focused in your life, in your family, on the Lord? Because it's the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour. (laughs) It doesn't end at 12.15, See, it's the Lord's day and it should be a day that we spend intentionally focused then on the Lord. It's a day when we can rest. Because just like the Hebrews experienced, God had already provided for them, they could then rest. God has already provided for you. See, the reason you can rest this morning, the reason that you don't need a religion this morning or a set of things to do and not do, is because Christ has accomplished everything. Your salvation is 0% dependent on your works. There's nothing you can do this morning to earn the favor of God. God in His grace looked at you and I in our miserable, sinful estate and sent His Son, His one and only Son, He who knew no sin, truly God and truly man. And He died on the cross in your place and in my place. And He has invited us to find our rest in Him. And that rest begins with repentance. Now hear this. So often we think about repentance just in the the terms of what we're turning from. But remember, repentance focuses on who we're turning to. And so in repentance, we turn to Christ. As we turn to Christ, we are turning away from sin. 
But repentance isn't just turning away from sin because if we're not turning to Christ, we are turning in circles. I mean, how often have you and others experienced this of I'm just going to stop doing this only to start doing it again? I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah, you are. You're going to. Apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. But Christ calls us to look to Him, not just away from our sin. And He calls us on this day, this Lord's day, to set our gaze on Him. And so I want to invite you to stand as I pray. On your feet, stand, however you stand. It probably looks different than sitting, so yes, stand. And as you stand, I'm going to pray for us. And I want to, I want to invite you this morning to fully place your rest in Christ. And that's not just an invitation to those of you who've never made a public profession of your faith. That's not just an invitation to those who are new in our church to join this church. That's an invitation to every one of you, whether you've been in this church 80 years or 8 days, to repent and place your trust fully in Christ. The reason that you and I are so often miserable and exhausted is because we are placing our rest in the wrong things. And so I will be here to pray for you. If several of you come, we have other pastors who will come up here and pray for you. I would count it an honor just to pray for you this morning in your repentance and seeking rest. There may be that God is at work and you see Him at work, but you just feel burdened this morning. And you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters in the faith. And so this is a time of response where we ask you to respond as God leads, where we'll be here to pray for you and counsel you as we sing about the Lord, as we trust in the Lord, as we learn about the Lord. So let me pray for us as we go into this time. Father God, I do thank You for Your Word. I thank You, Lord, that our faith doesn't just rest in our tradition of trimming the ends off a pot roast. Our faith rests in a Word that became flesh. Our faith rests in the truth of Your Word. Our faith rests in a Gospel that has been proclaimed to us. So I pray now in this time of response that we would respond to that Gospel. That, that our hope and our trust and our faith would be in nothing less than in Christ and His shed blood for us. And so Father, help us. If there are places, if there are things, if there are people in our lives that we are seeking to find our rest in. Help us now to repent of those things. And help us, Lord, this Lord's day to find our rest in Jesus Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.